Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. So remind me what we have been going through the last couple weeks. Creation, creation. All right, and we will start our class today looking at another psalm. Um, but I guess before we get there, where have we, how many days have we gone through? That all kind of blurs together, right? How many days? Five. So we looked at five days. What happens on day six? Animals and man, animals and man. Join me in Psalm chapter eight, if you would. Psalm chapter eight. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is the psalmist recounting here? Creation. And the pinnacle of that creation is man. Man, and what the, the psalmist discusses um, is, who is man? Why on earth, God, did you create me? And you create man. You put man just a little lower than the angels. He does take care of his creation. And that's what we've seen all the way up through uh, days uh, one through five so far. He has built, established this earth for whose benefit? For man's benefit. And that goes against what, or contrary to what other religions at the time uh, taught and believed, where everything was to serve the gods. Uh, what is um, uh, the food of the gods, right? If you think through uh, nectar and ambrosia, right? Um, everything was for the gods, but here everything is for man. For man. Uh, and so as we go through, seeing as that writing is a little small, what are some different things that God has done that we have seen the account of God doing? What actions did God take? He spoke. Okay, so the first thing uh, we see repeated throughout is that God said. What else do we see? Okay, it says that God created. What else? Separate. He said, he created, he separated. Okay, he stepped back and he saw what he created. And so he came to some conclusions as a result. What else? Hmm? He, okay, he did create days. Um, but what are the, uh, let me, what are the words that, the, that the, the author here uses to describe what God did? Made, blessed. Are we missing any? Called. And 
all of these, um, the Hebrew uh, Israelite culture consider all of these creative acts. And uh, Mark Pearson asked the question last week, uh, and if we were to go through, I found my notes, they were standing me right in the face, um, but when you have a bunch of notes like this, it's kind of hard to figure it out as you go, right, Wayne? Um, but uh, it, it, it's difficult to look through or, or to look outside of our modern-day glasses. Uh, when I want to understand a creation account, I want to understand everything, um, how it was done, why it was done, down to the nth detail. Uh, and that's not what the author had in mind. That was not the author's intent. Uh, and that was not what the audience got. And if we were to look at this from a modern-day perspective, we would see on days one, day three, and day seven, there's no what we would consider material creation, uh, where there's no material being provided. On those days, we see separation. On day two, if we were to look at it from a material perspective, we could possibly look at, at that expanse, that firmament, as being a material creation. On day four and day six, uh, we're going to see today on day six, there's some aspects of that material creation. Uh, and on day five, though, we don't see any acts of a material creation. However, what God does in an Israelite Hebrew culture is all considered creation activity because they are concerned from a functional standpoint, a purpose standpoint. And the takeaway from all of this is that God created this world in a functioning, orderly manner. And all praise and honor is to be given to him for what he has done. So as we jump back in, we'll start on day number six. And where does day number six start in the Genesis account? What verse? 24. All right, so we'll read through verse 24 um, and probably stop. Uh, yeah, we'll just go through the end of the chapter. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Verse 30. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so as we were to go back through and model the sixth day after the ones that we have looked at so far, uh, what do we see God doing on the sixth day? Okay, he created man. He does. He creates man. But is that what uh, uh, it says in verse 27? He created man. What else did we see God specifically called out as creating? Okay, he does call male and female, uh, previous days, previous days, sorry. 
But yeah, so we see on, on day number five that he creates the uh, great sea creatures and the living creatures that move. So he called out this creation. We don't see the other creation account. If we go all the way back, the last time that word was used before that is in verse one. And so the word create is used very sparingly throughout this, um, throughout this uh, account. But we see other words that are used repeatedly. What's another word that we see in day six that we also saw in the other days? Verse 24, and God said. What else do we see God doing? Blessed. Anything else? He made. He made. All right, so we see those are the, the four actions that I was able to find, and there, there may be more, um, and, and please correct me uh, if you find another one, but those are the four actions that we see that God did. He created man. He said multiple times. He blessed man, uh, and then it recounts that he made everything that he had made. What did God make? If you were to put this in buckets, what did God make? Uh, on day six, what did God make? Okay, so man is up there. You betcha. What else on day six? Is man the only thing he did on day six? Okay, woman. Yeah, woman's there. Did he create woman on day six? Yeah. How do you know that, Bev? Because it says it. It says it right here in verse 27. Male and female, he created them. He created man. What else? Yeah, all the other animals. And how does the author describe the animals? Does he describe them the way we would describe them? Let's look at this. In verse, uh, in verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Would we describe animals that way? No, this is a very poetic way of describing animals. And if you actually look at it, we'll flip my whiteboard around. It takes a, a Hebrew parallelism. Has anyone heard that term before? Hebrew parallelism. And so what if you look at, what's the first thing it describes? It says living creatures. And then it describes livestock and creeping things. And then... Beasts of the earth. See, told you to have trouble reading my handwriting. Um, and so if we look at this, we see like an A, B, C, D. And then he recounts it. He goes in reverse. And it was so, verse 25, God made the what? He made the beast. So we see like a D prime. Beast. There's no R in beast. Um, what do we see also accounted for? So we see he goes back and says a beast of the earth. And then he says livestock or cattle. Oh, but that one's B prime. So we've got something a little, little funky going on here. What else do we see? Ah, and then he goes on creeping things. Have we seen that before? C prime. You see the parallel between it? What is the author getting us in a very poetic way? He is saying, 
everything that walks on the earth, God made. And it's so important that God made everything that he says it twice. And this is a very Hebrew way of bringing that up. Did that make sense or did I just take a rabbit trail that didn't? All right. Get back to the text. Verse 26. What else did God make on day six? Man. And what is significant about man? What do we see from the text that's significant about man? Woo! All right, we think ourselves pretty important because I asked that question. I got a lot of participation. I like it. Heard it from over here. Ooh. Probably should have kept that whiteboard on the other side. We see image. And we'll get back to that. What else? Someone else had another comment. What's significant about the creation of man? What else do we see from the text? Okay, it says we. There's a, a we or an us here. Kind of different. What else do we see from the text? In our likeness. So it goes back to that image. What did God direct? Did he, he do anything special with man? He gave him dominion. Yeah, the likeness. And that image is critical. That image. Uh, this is a, a verse 27 is another poetic description. And what is the emphasis of the focus of verse 27? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What's the focus? His image. The focus is God created man in his image. And that begs the question. What question does that beg? Okay, do we physically look like God, right? Because if we do, God is a goofy-looking guy because he's going to look like everybody, right? Everyone all meshed together. Is that what the author is talking about? Does God have fingers and toes and two legs? We don't know. That, that's a very humbling answer. Uh, he, he very well could. Um, we have nothing in Scripture that would indicate he does. He's not like us. Uh, but is that what the author is getting at here? He's made in God's image. So if we think of image, what do we need to understand? How would uh, the, the intended audience understand what image is or likeness? We don't look like the animals. That's right. We understand things differently. Hmm? Uh, that, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. What else do we see? Or what else do we think? Yeah. And, and so we have our own free will and design. We're not instinctual like Bev was pointing out. To be someone's image, what does that entail? What does that mean? Say, say that again, Bruce. Yeah, and so we want to look at this from a visual perspective, that in the image is, is encountering what we visually look like God in some aspect. But that's not what the author was getting at. That's not what the intended audience would have got. Spiritual, we're spiritual. When we think of someone's image, uh, I want to tease it out a little bit more. A mirror. Yeah. What? It's, I'll just spill it out. We serve the same purpose that God serves. 
We are his representatives on this earth. Everything we do is to serve his purpose. We are his image bearers. We work under his authority because we're under his image. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's not dealing with a physical nature. It's not dealing with the physical nature. God is spirit, and that's what we will be the same. We are the same. So we work in the image of God. What have we seen through the creation aspect? What is a word that we, we use to discuss what God did through creation? He brought order to creation. What is man's role in the world today? To bring order, to maintain order, to attempt to keep the same order that God initially instilled, right? How many mothers, uh, are, okay, mothers in the room, not how many mothers are there, mothers in the room, um, go back a couple years and think when you had little kids running around. Um, what was your main goal in running around after those kids? Keep them alive and put everything back where it was supposed to be. Because if you are like us at home, you're going to have a little toddler that pulls everything out. And you're going to put them back where they belong, and guess what happens? Right behind you, they come right behind and take it all back out. So mothers, I would say, give us an example uh, because Megan's a lot better at this than I am. That's why I'm using mothers. Give us an example of what it is to bear the image of God. They keep order. Mothers at home keep order because it's so easy for things to get out of whack unless we constantly work to keep order. Does laundry do itself? Does dinner cook itself? Do groceries put themselves in the fridge? All these little things help us see that we maintain order because we are in the image of God. God instituted order out of chaos, and we are here in an attempt to try to maintain the order that he instituted. Marty. There, there are a lot of contrasts. So build on that. M Marty, what contrast did you see that man was given something that animals were not? Yeah, and that image is critical. The fact that man was made in the image of God sets us apart tremendously. It sets us apart so much that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Hebrew author writes a, a beautiful little poem about it. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man has dominion over the other creation of God. And to have dominion, let, let's tear this apart a little bit. What, is that, what does this word mean? What does dominion entail? Dominance, authority. Does that mean rule with an iron fist, abuse it and use it and do whatever we want with it? No. It's to, to I like Jim's comment on authority. We have dominion to manage it. To manage something, to rule over something, to subdue something is to bring it into subjection, bring it into order. See how it all builds layers upon layers upon layers. What did God give, uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. What did God give man to eat? Verse 29. Does it say every plant? Okay, so it says every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
Does that verbiage sound familiar? Every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit? Where did that pop up before? On an earlier day. And so God is telling man, oh, hey, what I put in place earlier, go ahead and eat that. Go ahead and eat that. What did animals, what were animals allowed to eat? Okay, we see, no, not here, not yet, not yet. Uh, we see at the end of verse, uh, verse 30 there, I have given every green plant for food. What's the distinction between what animals were given to eat versus what man was given to eat? Is there a distinction or is it not? There is a distinction because with man, what's the focus? The food that he was given has seed, has the ability for it to reproduce, has the ability for it to perpetuate. Uh, and it may be uh, an association, this is purely opinion, maybe an association on man's role in maintaining order is to cognizantly eat uh, in a way that is uh, remembering the seeds in that order that needs to be maintained. Man was told to eat, or man was given uh, plants yielding seed, and every tree was seed in its fruit. Animals were given every green plant for food. So that begs the question, another question. Was there death? On day six, how do we eat plants without there being death? The eating the fruit doesn't kill the plant, but we kill cells in that plant. So our skin cells fall off. In order for our skin cells to fall off, those skin cells are replaced. So there's some type of order there, right? What is used for food, there is something there to replace it. So like Andrew was talking about, there's not death when it comes to vegetation. Because you can take the tree, the fruit from the tree or the plants that are yielding seed and eat that food, and guess what happens to the plant? It's still alive to produce more. But if we were to eat animals at this point or eat each other, what would happen? They can't reproduce anymore. We're going to see that a little bit more as chapter 2 plays out. Yeah, there, there's, there's aspects and some subtleties associated with, with what specifically dies, but that, that seed has to move on uh, in order for a plant to, to grow. Other things that, that we want to uh, at least highlight here that are going to be brought up again, um, when God discusses to man uh, what, um, or when God discusses with the beast what they can eat, the breath of life is something that we're going to see into chapter 2 and into chapter 7. But it concludes what? How does this day 6 conclude? It was very good. And is that different than what we've seen before? Everything else was just good, and now all of a sudden it's very good. What's the difference? It's not, it's not I, I, I would think we would be amiss to use the word complete here. Um, but there was something about day six that made it very good versus good. Because, man, I think that is our conclusion, a conclusion that we have. What is the purpose of these six days? A purpose is for man to benefit. But what we're actually going to see is that the pinnacle, what, what would you say the pinnacle of creation is? We see that the purpose, a purpose of creation is that God 
allowed for his creation, man, to be taken care of. What is the pinnacle of creation? It's not man. And that was kind of a trick question. I was anticipating that being the answer. Pinnacle of creation is day seven. How is day seven the pinnacle of creation? Because God rested. And you say, well, Curtis, that's not a fair question because you stopped reading at the end of chapter one and you didn't read into chapter two. Um, but we're going to see here as we shift gears that the pinnacle of creation is day seven. Chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Have we seen similar language to this before? Chapter one, verse one. So you kind of see how, how the, the author here is concluding. He's putting a nice bow on it. He said, I'm going to tell you how God created the heavens and the earth. Now I've told you how God creates the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What are some things that repeat on day 7? What do we see from the text on some things that God did on day seven? What do we see? Say that again. It has been completed, but what does the text say God did? Okay, so we see on day seven, God blessed. Are there any other days that God blessed? Look back at day Four, is it day four or day five? Day five and day six, he also blessed. What else did God do on this day seven? Finishing, you said sanctified, is that the, the word I heard over here? Yeah, so he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. God set something apart. He made it holy. He sanctified it. What is holy? That's an interesting word to use. What did God make holy? There's something special about this seventh day because God made it holy. What else is holy as we think through the Old Testament? Okay, so we see that God is holy. What else do we see as holy through the Old Testament? The Sabbath, the seventh day. Okay, Gene's on to something here. The holy of holies in the tabernacle was considered holy, right? So there's portions of that tabernacle. Later on, there's portions of the temple that are designated as holy. And what sets off that holy of holies? The ark. And what is significant about the ark? What does it symbolize? The presence of God. What makes something holy? God. Something that is holy is able to be in the presence of God. That seventh day, God made it holy, so it's able to be in his presence. God, if we were to look at Psalm 132, 
uh, which we'll get to in a moment. Maybe we'll get to in a moment. Might get to it next week. Um, we see that God made the Sabbath day holy, similar to his tabernacle, similar to his temple, because why? God dwells there. On the seventh day, God took up his residence. And where did he take up his residence? In his creation. God took up residence in his creation. As a result, on that seventh day, after he stepped back on day six and said it's all very good, on day seven he moves in. Does that make sense? God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work. Let's look at Psalm 132. I want to understand this word rest a little bit more. When we think of the term rest, what do we think of? 132, Psalm 132. When we think of the term rest, what do we think of? Doing nothing, right? This is my Sunday afternoon nap, right? Where I'm going to get very upset. Even if I fall asleep with that TV remote in my hand, I'm going to be very upset when someone comes in and turns off the TV even though I'm asleep, right? Doing nothing is resting. What else do we think of rest? Is that... Our, our consensus on what rest is? And then is that what the Hebrew culture would have had in mind when they thought rest? Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, and he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we have heard it in Ephathra. We've heard it there. Uh, we found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout out for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away from the face of the anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One for the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my test, my covenant and my testimonies, I shall teach them. And their sons forever, uh, and their sons also forever shall sit on my throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy the poor with her bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with, clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. When the Hebrews thought of rest, what did they also think of? Worship. There's an association of worship. What else? I kind of gave it away a little bit. I was a little out of order. But that rest concept shows where God dwells. Where do you rest? If we think rest is, is doing nothing, where are you most comfortable resting? In bed, right? And that lazy boy. God built his creation so that he could rest. Now, uh, later on, we're going to see that that same term is used for the Israelites going into Cana, uh, into Canaan land. Would you consider that they rested when they went into Canaan land? What did they have to do? They had to fight and purge everybody out, but it's described as a rest. So why is it described as a rest when you have to uh, fight a bunch of wars and kick a bunch of people out? 
Yeah. Yeah, he's moved on. He's no longer in that act of creating. He's now in the act of sitting back and maintaining it. This is not kicking up your feet and doing nothing. This is still working to preserve what you have made so that you can dwell there. And that's what we, we need to think when we look at the term rest, that it's not necessarily that God sat up um, with his feet kicked up uh, on the ottoman uh, and taken a nap. Kenny. Yeah, everything has been set in place. Uh, the Israelites, to Kenny's point, were doing what God had asked them to do. Everything was set in place, and they dwell there. They rest in the land of Canaan where they dwell. God rests on the seventh day where God dwells. Does that mean God only dwells on the seventh day? No. What, what else, as we answer that question, um, sets the seventh day apart differently than the first six? He did have everything done. How do days one through six end? There was evening and there was morning the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. That's a set pattern, right? The verbiage is the exact same. He sat at his computer when he was writing this out and hit Control-C, Control-V, copy and paste, right? said Moses had a computer. No one chuckled at that. Thank you, Tom. Um, what do we see on day seven? How does day seven end? It's not there. Does that mean day seven continues perpetually? If there's no end to it, if there's no beginning to it, or there's no end to it, then one could say that this day is ongoing. And if this day is ongoing, then what does God want to do in his creation? He wants to continue to dwell in his creation. The fact that there, it doesn't say there was evening and there was morning, a seventh day should jump out to us as a question of what's going on. So we talked a little bit about Moses, um, most likely being the one who authored this book. It's, it's traditionally attributed to Moses as being authored, uh, author of Genesis. Moses had an interesting relationship with God, uh, one that few others had. He was able to speak to God, he was able to see God face to face, and he was able to communicate God's will to the people of Israel. We already talked a little bit about this tabernacle and this temple and the significance of God's presence being there. A thought, a way to think of this creation account as Moses is recounting creation is imagine, and this is, again, all 100% hypothetical, 100% hypothetical, but imagine sit, Moses sitting down with the elders of Israel the night before the tabernacle is open for business. He is attempting to explain the significance of God's presence being with his people, and the only thing that comes close to describing how God's, the significance of God's presence being in the tabernacle is creation. So Moses is recounting the creation account in an attempt to show the significance of God dwelling with his people. Does that make sense? Again, that's all hypothetical. But I think that's the way we need to look at this creation account. Comments or questions as we wrap up our time?
Why would God need to rest? Because he has, uh, in my opinion, he's completed what he set out to do. And now he's, uh, again, living within what he has done. Uh, he's moved from a, a creation, a making, to a maintaining a dwelling standpoint. He has, at this point, the house has already been built. Now the boxes are unpacked, and he can sit down and maintain the inside of that house. Does that answer your question? Maybe, maybe not. Tim's a philosopher, and he asks questions that you don't know if they even have an answer. Uh, as we, we close, let's, let's end with a quick prayer, and then next week we'll pick up in chapter 2. Uh, we got to chapter 2 this week. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Um, Father, we're thankful for uh, your will for us. We're thankful that it has been recorded through your Bible. Uh, we pray, Father, that we can be humble students of your word and that we can glean what you would have us glean from it, Father, and that we can just sit back with amazement uh, and praise you for what you have done for us. Father, we're thankful for this world that you have created. We're thankful that uh, the account of this creation has been recorded for us, Father, and we praise, uh, pray, Father, that we can praise you uh, as a result of this creation. We love you, God, and this prayer I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.